When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the D-Rays Bay Playoff Podcast Series. It's our favorite thing that we've been able to do on the D-Rays Bay Playoff, or the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, three years running, because it's now the Rays' fourth consecutive trip to the postseason, and we're back again with an American League wild card round preview. The bracket is set. The Rays are headed to Cleveland to take on the Guardians in a best-of-three series All three games going to be going down in Cleveland over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if necessary. And so to preview that series and look around the league and make some predictions for how this October will play out, I am joined by two very special guests. First is Darby Robinson. Darby, you were on the last Raise Your Voice of the regular season where we talked about the vibes. And I think it's pretty clear to say the Rays have continued backing uh, you know, backing into this postseason. With that being said, where where are the vibes now, now that a week has passed? Oh, now that the regular season's over, everything's back to zero. All the stats, all the wins and losses, the Rays are starting at zero. So the vibes are good. This is late spring training vibes of like, I don't know if anybody wants to be there, just get your reps in. So it is very frustrating to see the Rays not really perform, but also I don't know how much of them are even like going at a hundred percent. So we're now, whatever, they did enough to get to the tournament. Now they're in the tournament. Everything is reset. And so vibes are back to opening day, baby, except for it's October. It's even better. It it does have that feel to it. And the other guest on tonight's show, you might know him as Rays metrics on Twitter. It's Cole Mitchum. Cole, you ready for some postseason baseball? Absolutely. Let's do it. I, I got to agree with Darby. We're starting from square one. October's here. You know, last week didn't mean a whole lot. So, uh, you know, we'll hopefully some better play. Yeah, I mean, the Rays finished with, with 86 wins. And, uh, you know, with the, the seasons they've been putting up really since 2018 when they won 90 games and missed the postseason, I think it's fair to say it was a disappointing uh, regular season, but for many reasons, not just the win total, also the performance of some of the younger players that were expected to come up and play a bigger role. And it turns out they just played like rookies. Uh, It was also disappointing with season-ending injuries to players like Mike Zanino and Kevin Kiermaier and now Brandon Lau. You you just go up the spine of of the Rays lineup, and you also missed Wander Franco for, for good chunks of the season. He really only played about half the year. He's a guy who, coming into the season, maybe we all jumped the gun a bit, but I think we'd be lying if we said we didn't, you know, we thought, we didn't think that he would, could, let me rephrase that, that we thought he could be a an AL MVP finalist and maybe even have a chance to win the award after the way he kind of burst onto the scene last year in the regular season and in the postseason, although it was just four games. So a bit of a, of a disappointing regular season, but like Darby said, 
all of that's in the rear view now. You look at the Atlanta Braves, who, who won a World Series title a year ago with less than 90 wins. It's, it is possible it can be done. And the Rays right now, I think, and we'll talk about what the roster will look like exactly, I think the roster is better than it was two weeks ago or a month ago, um, particularly because they, they got one man back, in particular on the pitching side of things. Uh, but we'll save our roster breakdown for the second segment in tonight's show. We'll start off by previewing. The Cleveland Guardians, uh, it looks like it'll be a battle of the Shanes in Game 1. Shane Bieber, former American League Cy Young winner. Shane McClanahan, who was an AL Cy Young hopeful for a good chunk of 2022. This is a very intriguing pitching matchup, one of the most intriguing of the first round. And uh, first off, guys, we'll start with you, Cole. What are your thoughts on Shane Bieber and, and how he could attack this, this Rays lineup? Yeah, Bieber's coming off a really good season. Um, a couple interesting things that he kind of went through this year is if you've watched him and, and the Rays actually just faced him about a week ago or so, is his velocity on a lot of his, his pitches is kind of like in a weird position. It's down this year than it has been previously in his career. So he hasn't quite racked up the strikeout totals that you've seen in the past. But what's kind of interesting is that he almost hasn't skipped a beat because of it. He, um, you know, he doesn't have maybe the, the same stuff he used to early in his career, but he's still a really good pitcher. He's probably going to get some down ballot Cy Young votes. And, um, you know, he's, he's going to be a tough opponent for, for any offense. So, um, you know, another thing that I'll, I'll throw out there that I think is interesting is when the Rays faced Bieber in Cleveland recently, just about a week ago, they went with a pretty right-handed um, lineup they, they threw out the, there with them. And, um, you know, that's interesting because, one, a lot of the left-handed um, hitters on the team are kind of struggling right now. And, two, I think that might say something, a little bit something about how they view his particular pitch mix and, and the splits and, and the way his pitches move. So, you know, I would actually think, although he's a righty, we might see a good bit of righties in the lineup for that Friday game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of attack him. Darby, I'm, I'm. I think my biggest worry with Bieber is I really like the arms in the in the back end of Cleveland's bullpen, and Bieber has a chance to limit the amount of outs that Cleveland needs from their bullpen. He is, you know, liable to go seven, eight plus innings, and now you think that he's in the postseason. Kind of the, the training wheels are off if they were ever there. He was one of a very small handful of guys to reach 200 innings. He had 31 starts. It, it just feels like he's a guy that could shorten this game up a lot and turn it over to to the more electric arms in the Cleveland bullpen. Oh, absolutely. I think with Bieber, he's been there before uh, with the length. He consistently is going six plus innings. You know, I mean, if you look through his game logs, everything, it, he's going seven, eight innings a lot. It's kind of almost a throwback pitcher, right? He doesn't throw it uh, upper 90s. He gets a really good amount of ground balls gets a fair number of strikeouts, limits the walks, strong command. And he just, he just churns through innings. Like it's, a, it's another, it, it is a throwback pitcher and he's kind of because of the lack of extreme velocity and huge K numbers, he does kind of come off a little less sexy. You know, you don't see him on pitching Ninja every, every week. You don't see like the ton of highlights, but he's just a ruthlessly efficient pitcher and efficiency in the postseason can absolutely uh win you series you know you you have you mentioned like this is one of the best bullpens uh in the postseason right now they have 
five guys that have one fan graphs war win or more like that's incredible they are super super deep and that game one with with Bieber yeah you might need class a to finish it off or you might have use Karen check and class a but he he could take you a, a whole nine fairly easy if that's where Tito wants to go so absolutely ruthless efficient pitching from Bieber as he always has like this is this this guy you know it's no surprise this year he's just consistently just a tough tough guy to face the other thing is just like he doesn't cole you mentioned the strikeouts are down a bit he just doesn't give up any free passes and the guardians defense has been one of if not the best defensive alignments in the american league this year they're not going to give away base runners or or give away outs they're they're not going to give away runs and the rays are really going to have to earn it especially in the in this game one and now luckily on the other side You've got Shane McClanahan, who, you know, when when he left that game um, before the start of the game um, with that shoulder injury in Miami, I mean, I, I was pretty sure that he wasn't going to be pitching in this game or any game in the postseason. So just to have him back is huge. But it is, I think, you know, it, it, it's not going to be one where you can rely on scoring a ton of runs. You're really going to need him an arrested bullpen to step up. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on McClanahan and, and, and what he can bring and what he needs to bring in game one to, uh, to, to get the Rays up and, you know, not have to play an elimination game on, on Saturday? Uh, yeah, so I'll, you know, I'll say that if you've, been, if you've been following the Rays all year, especially if you've been watching Shane starts, um, the last few that he's made since coming off the IL, they just kind of haven't been the same as, uh, as what he looked like in the beginning of the season. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate. And I, I don't know if he's, you know, pitching through injury or anything because he did have the shoulder issue. And then one of his starts previous, like quick soon after that, he had like a neck tightness issue. Um, he has said in some post-game interviews that he is healthy. So, you know, all we can really do is, is believe him. But, you know, I, I think I do believe him because the velocity on his pitches, the shapes on his pitches, the way he's using them, he's using all four of his pitches, everything, everything about the trends of how his pitches are playing, it does resemble the first half Shane McClanahan that was nearly unhittable. It's just been the command, I think, that's been a little bit off um, since he's come back. He's kind of working into deeper counts. He's not finishing his off-speed pitches, or he's not getting batters to, to swing and miss out, out of the zone against those pitches as often as he used to. So, I think um, I think it's really just kind of a command thing, and I really hope that he he comes out Friday and and just fills up the zone because his stuff is filthy. And if he if he's throwing, you know, if he's hitting his spots and throwing where he wants to, it's gonna be hard for any lineup to uh, you know to get a hold of him. Yeah, he clearly hasn't been the same pitcher uh, in the second half as he was in the first half, where he was the best in baseball, if you ask me. Uh, but it's not to say that he hasn't been effective. I think he has. I think just having him is a huge plus. Uh, this Cleveland lineup can can hit. They've obviously got Jose Ramirez, um, Andres Jimenez, who I, I want to talk about in a second because he's just put together an incredible season. Josh Naylor, who really struggles against lefties. So I don't even know if he'll start that game. Maybe they save him on the bench to go uh, up against one of the righties in the Rays' bullpen, especially since uh, the Rays are re really kind of uh, you know lacking any left-handed relievers at this point maybe maybe jeffrey springs we'll talk about that in a second um so i i think he can handle this cleveland lineup i'm not too worried about that i definitely think 
This is going to be a low-scoring game. You're going to have to really produce runs. Like I said, you're not going to you know, get a man on and Bieber will walk, move a runner into scoring position, then an, an error in left field is going to bring home the run. That, that's just not how I see this game playing out. It's going to be a low-scoring affair. You've got a full day of rest now for your bullpen. I know the Rays try to save as many of their arms as possible today, like Darby mentioned. They weren't really trying to win. It didn't feel like you saw guys like Jimmy Yagabonis, who... Again, I'll save the rest of the roster projection. I don't expect him to be in the dugout or at least not on the roster come Friday. We'll, we'll see. Uh, who knows? Um, but there are guys that I think they were, they wanted to be fully rested come Friday because this is only the second time in history that you've seen a three-game series. We saw this play out in 2020. Again, though, that was such a weird season. The Rays played the Blue Jays at home in front of no fans. Now you have to go on the road. Something I did hear Andy Freed mentioning in the postgame celebrations after the Rays clinched their postseason spot is that the Rays have never lost in a wild card format. So they've they've won the wild card games they've been a part of, and they won that wild card series against Toronto in 2020. So uh, if history tells us anything, is that the Rays are pretty good in these situations, but it's a, it's a new team this year, and I think it's an interesting challenge that Cleveland provides. Now, were you guys? Uh, I know we, we talked about how, how good Cleveland is, but is this still the best case scenario in terms of who the Rays could have played in this round and also being on this side of the bracket where if you do advance, you don't have to play Houston until the ALCS? I think that's the biggest thing, right, is that the, I know a lot of people online, you know, a lot of race fans, you know, we're talking about like tanking to, to get to Cleveland. Um, the thing is, Cleveland is not to be trifled with. They're not to be overlooked. This is a really deep team, a really frustrating team and a really good team at home. Like in Cleveland, in, in progressive field, they are one of the toughest teams to face. But that being said, having to travel to Toronto, always tricky. Having to then face the Astros in a short series where you could have Verlander twice, um, it's just really tough. You know, the Astros are the best team in the American League. Uh, I don't think anybody is particularly close to them in terms of their quality. I think they're similar to the Dodgers in that way. That doesn't mean they won't lose. Uh, they could absolutely get beat. The playoffs are a weird thing. The Astros and the Dodgers have only won one World Series apiece in the last several years when they've all been the best team at that time. So the playoffs are the kind of the great equalizer in that way. The best team doesn't always win, but the Astros are by far on paper, on the field, just the best team. So if you can avoid them for another round, again, not saying the Yankees aren't difficult either. All these teams are good. Like this is, this is a great field. Everybody here is going to be very tough, but I would say Cleveland. And then if they get past Cleveland, the Yankees, this is the, the this is the easier path. This is the more preferential path because Frankly, it's it's all about Houston, right? You just you just do not want to you want to hopefully have somebody else somehow some way take them out before your team has to face them because everything becomes easier if you're not facing the best team. Same with the Dodgers. Hopefully somebody knocks them out too. Everybody wants to see Astros and Dodgers eliminated early unless you're a fan of those teams because once they're out, suddenly anybody it's anybody's game. I, I definitely agree on the Astros point. Um, just top to bottom, pitching, defense, offense, they're, they're a juggernaut, right? So the, the 
the latest you can possibly play them, you know, the better. Um, but I do agree with your point, Darby, on the wild card round where Cleveland is definitely no pushover. And I, I think you could even maybe make the argument they are the team you least want to play out of the wild cards. They are so deep on the pitching and they have, you know, they presumably got Bieber, McKenzie, and Quantrill lined up to start the three games. It's their best three starters. And they have like six or seven, like really like legitimately good relievers. And I don't expect anybody else to pitch in this series except for those guys. So literally every single inning the Rays are going to have to um, hit and face the guardians it's going to be a good pitcher on the mound um and the so the stat the pitching staff's deep the uh lineup is very you know it's not it's not necessarily like scary they don't put up a ton of runs but it's diverse with a lot of different type of hitters there's a good mix of righties and lefties there's some sneaky power bats in there there's a ton of contact guys which kind of you know lead to more of a more of a a, a variable offense you almost feel like it's less in your control when you have so many guys making so much contact so many different things can happen um you know when you when you can't just roll out your biggest strikeout arms and just expect to get case um so you know it's it, it's just a series that is um it can be a, a little bit of a nightmare for for a lot of teams but i think the rays are well equipped to face them um so yeah the, the whole narrative around yeah tank for for the 6c tank for cleveland I don't think that's what, at all what the Rays were doing, and I don't think that's a, a, a very smart way to think about this. Cole, you mentioned Tristan McKenzie and Cal Quantrill. I don't think we'll, we know entirely like if who would start game two. I think it would be McKenzie, and they would um, safely save Quantrill for, for a game three if necessary. And these are two other guys that eclipsed 180 innings uh, for Cleveland this year. Again, the training wheels are off. They kind of just let these guys ride. And McKenzie has had some injury concerns in the past. I was shocked with how many innings he threw. And I just looked at the splits. These guys have not seemed to slow down in the second half at all. Instead, it seemed they've seemed to have gotten better. And this is something I think we saw last year with Shane McClanahan. He started the year in AAA, come, came up, did really well. And then in the postseason, when you know he was expected to lead the line after Glasnow's injury, uh, you know, some could argue he ran out of gas and some could argue right now that he he's running out of gas. He's at a career high in innings. We, we looked at his numbers and the, the dip he's had in some of his numbers, even though the pitch data suggests that he's the same guy he was in the first half of the season. Um, I think there is a concern more so on the Rays side when you're relying on guys like Drew Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs, who, you know, a little over a year ago, neither of them were starting pitchers in on this team. Uh, on this, on the other side, Cleveland has guys like McKenzie and Quantrill who have have, have continued to improve as the season has gone. Um, XFIP for Tristan McKenzie was at four seven four in June, and then drops to three five three in July, three two seven in August, and all the way down to three one seven in September, and, and thus far into October. I mean, he's just become incredible. Um, he's got electric stuff, you know, really tall, lanky um, build, and I'm I'm afraid of him in game two. Now, on the other side, the Rays are almost certainly going to be throwing their own tall, lanky pitcher in Tyler Glass now. We, we've seen him come out. He threw three and two-thirds. The strikeout stuff was there in that last start against Boston. The question is now, what is Tyler Glass now in terms of his role? He's going to start 
game two, how deep will he go and how deep will the Rays need him to go? And again, some of this will depend on what happens in game one. You manage it differently if you're down a game than if you're up a game. You still want to win. Game two is a must win either way. All of these games, it's the playoffs. All these games are must win. Um, but what are you guys expecting out of Glass now? What do you think the Rays will need to see from him in, in game two? He's up to four up and downs, right? Last time out, he went three and two thirds, seven Ks. So it looked really sharp. I think the natural progression means that I think five up and downs is something that you could you could ask of him. And postseason, especially with Cleveland's pesky offense, tons of contact, it does make it some somehow a little bit trickier. So maybe you're not getting all the way five. I think you just, with, with Glasnow, you're going to get the best stuff of any pitcher that's throwing in the, in this round. And, and that's, that's, in, that's, that's all over. This is going to be so the, in the American league wildcard round, this is going to have the best stuff. It's just not going to go very deep. So you're going to need potentially a Jeffrey Springs as a piggyback, maybe Kluber, maybe it's just two innings from, from a Pete Fairbanks instead of one, maybe it's asking those two. Cause we saw that, uh, a couple of years ago against the Yankees, where you had all of your relievers in that must win game five, go an extra inning. So you might have a similar setup where maybe you get Tyler to four innings and, and he's, and he's feeling good. Maybe you get an extra batter or two, but I don't think we're going to see any of these raised pitchers go more than two times through the order against Cleveland. I don't think there's anybody that I don't think there's any pitcher that's going to see a Cleveland batter a third time. I don't think they're going to expose Shane to that. They have in the past with, and Tyler is somebody that doesn't have a, a third time through the order split. So I don't think they would worry about that, but I don't think he has the length right now to stretch to there. So I think four or five innings and then turn it over to the pen and just kind of go from there. But I think what, what you get from glass now is the best stuff in the briefest package. I, I agree when, and especially when you were kind of talking about the other pitchers, maybe a Pete Fairbanks and Jason Adam being stretched to two inning roles. I think the Rays are going to think about their pitching staff as an extremely fluid unit, not really so much about starters, relievers, and it's just going to be about who is, can be pitching in certain situations that is giving us the best chance to win. However, Glass now, I think, is the one constant. I think he is set up for game two and game two only to go his four, maybe a little bit more innings. And that's like, you know, that's what you know you're going to get. I don't really think that he, there's they're going to risk um, coming off of a major surgery and push him into a sixth inning or something like that. I just don't see that happening, at least not in this round. We'll talk later if, if the Rays can continue to advance. Now, with that being said, I, I've kind of got an interesting question for both of you guys. Brett touched on a scenario where the Rays may act differently depending on if they win game one or, uh, or lose game one. So with McClanahan slated for game one, Glass now for game two, let's say the Rays lose game one. You almost feel like you don't want to go out in just two games with Drew Rasmussen sitting on your bench, right? So if they lose game one, do they then look to Rasmussen to kind of piggyback off of Glasnow in that second game? And then the follow-up is the other scenario. If they win game one, does that kind of solidify Rasmussen as his normal game three start, knowing you can you can almost survive a loss? That's kind of how I'm maybe thinking about it, but interested to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Wait, you say if the Rays win game one to, to keep 
Rasmussen or to keep Glass now for game three? They, no, Glass now for two. Okay. If they win game one, Rasmussen gets game three and it's all his. But if they lose game one, I think you then have to think about Rasmussen coming out of the pen in game two. Uh, I think, Don't, yes. I mean, if you lose game one, it's an all hands on deck effort, all, right? Right, it's, exactly. It, it's an elimination game. You've got to win back to back games. And I think without tipping my hand too much on who I think is going to make this roster this weekend, I think you're, you're comfortable. You know, if you've got to use Glass now, Rasmussen, and maybe even Springs, and still have someone in your back pocket that can give you some semblance of length in in Game Three on Sunday. Darby, what are your thoughts? I, I agree. And here's the thing with with what's interesting with Rasmussen and Springs is they both have relief experience and. Obviously, in the postseason, every pitcher is suddenly, you know, you can be used anywhere, right? Some of the best postseason moments are like, you know, Randy Johnson warming in the pen and coming out. But there is something to the idea of like, they know the routine, the ritual, how to get up, how to get ready, how to get their bodies ready, even if they're not in practice and they haven't been warming their arm like that. I think they still have the mental ability to be able to be like, okay, I can warm in the pen. I have this. I have these reps. So I think you could see Rasmussen for like three innings as a perfect piggyback. I think you could see Springs as well as like a perfect piggyback. And yeah, I I do think game one does sort of change how you manage game two in some way outside of glass now. But I still think with the Rays, your point about this pitching is all fluid. They, They are looking at 27 outs. How do you best get 27 outs? And every single time there's somebody coming in, they're going to have probably their best arm coming in. So I I think what you see with like a game two, I think Rasmussen could come in there. I also could see them thinking that maybe Rasmussen's style is not the best choice as a piggyback, That, that Jeffrey Springs with his more swing and miss stuff might be the better counter to the extreme contact, uh, extremely superb batting average style of Cleveland. And so if you don't see Rasmussen, it may not be that they're holding him for a game three, because I don't think they're going to really hold anything off. They'll worry about game three when it gets to it. I think it could be that they just think the matchup is maybe a little bit better with like Springs and then maybe a Beaks for like an inning. If you have that like nailer, you have uh Jose Ramirez, who's a little bit worse from the right-hand side. I mean, a little bit worse from like one of the best hitters in baseball to uh, like a minus <laughs> type of hitter, but like, you know, you try to reduce a little bit, you can maybe get like an inning out of like a Beaks to like survive or Brooks Raley, et cetera. So I could see that, but I, I, I think the thing with the Rays that's exciting about this round is that unlike Cleveland, I think we know the game start game one starter, game two starter for both. But how long that game two starter goes, and then what happens after that, nobody knows. Cash, Cash probably knows, but maybe other than other than Cash, I don't know. What does Mike Tyson say? Like everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? Like Shane McClanahan. Like who knows what we're, what Shane McClanahan we're gonna get on on Friday uh, afternoon or, or Friday morning when Darby will be watching out on the West Coast. Um, you know, maybe you need to turn to a Jeffrey Springs in a game one. Maybe you, you tell him to be ready in game one. If you need some more length to, to preserve your bullpen arms, uh, before we go to break, uh, we've talked a lot about the pitching side of things. 
Now, obviously, Cleveland is has a pretty decent lineup. Obviously, Jose Ramirez, perennial all-star, in my opinion, one of the top five position players in all of baseball. Uh, but he did not lead their team in wins above replacement this year. Uh, that was a man who was uh, involved in the Francisco Lindor trade, Andres Jimenez, who led in, in on baseball reference war 7.2 wins above replacement. And he, he did crazy numbers in, in F4 as well. 6.2 wins Six, above replacement. 6.2, yeah. Um, an, an incredible season. He was, you know, rewarded with an all-star appearance. Uh, if, if there's a player that I, I think I'm, I'm really worried about, it's, it's Andres Jimenez. Uh, anyone else? I mean, you guys can talk about Jimenez if you want, but anyone else in this Cleveland lineup that you're really worried about the Rays pitchers trying to retire over over a three game series? I think in terms of frustration and making, I have a lot of gray hair already, but making my hair even more gray is basically trying to see Stephen Kwan making out because he will just be up there getting contact after contact after a, he's going to get a piece of it, get a piece of it, a piece of it. I feel like I've never seen a Stephen Kwan at bat go like less than eight pitches. Like the guy is extraordinary. He's extraordinarily good contact hitter. He nine, 9% walk rate, 9% K rate. Like that's, that's just, that is the type of line. That's like the most frustrating batter <laughs> to face because it just feels like no matter he can spoil so many good pitches that you eventually start to get frustrated as a pitcher and you get real frustrated as a fan. Now he doesn't have power. So there's like that, not as much fear, you know, Jimenez and, and, and Jose Ramirez, any single bad pitch and that could be sent deep, but Quan is definitely the guy that I always dread because it's just like, he's just going to slap this opposite field single after like nine annoying pitches where four unbelievable curveballs that nobody should swing at nobody should make contact with they'll just foul off and then just serve one out there and get on first and it's just it's de- it's just deflating just the balloon explodes and flies around the room i mean there's a very real chance the rays are just bad up to death this series uh, cleveland does not strike out they strike out less than any team in all of baseball uh they put a lot of balls in play and they've got some some good athletes on this team and some guys that can clear the bases too, like a Josh Naylor, like a Jose Ramirez, and, and a few others. So, uh, yeah, we talk about how the Rays are avoiding, you know, Toronto and their lineup and guys like Kevin Gosman. And then you look at Seattle with with uh, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, Julio Rodriguez. Uh, but Cleveland, I mean, Cleveland won 92 games. And I know they did that in the worst, most uninteresting division in the history of, of this game. <laughs> Uh, but they won 92 games, and uh, I, I'm a bit worried. What I will say, and we'll save our predi- predictions for the, for the very last segment, is that, uh, you know, the Rays aren't going in as massive underdogs. They're not going in as massive favorites. At the end of the day, it's a three-game series. I think these two teams are about as evenly matched as, as it gets in the postseason, and I think in some ways that's making me feel a little bit better. I'm not going with any expectations. I'm not going in feeling with the feeling of dread. It's just... Let's see how this plays out. Any other thoughts on the, uh, you know, the, the, the series preview before we get into our roster projection? Uh, you know, one, since, since Darby highlighted a name and you talked about a few, one, one name that I'll throw out there in Cleveland's lineup um, that might be one to watch is Oscar Gonzalez. Um, he's kind of an unheralded guy. I, I think he made his big league debut this year. 
um, if I'm not mistaken. So he's a rookie, but he's been hitting in the middle of their order for like the entire second half. And he's a, he's a really unique player. He's, he's kind of like a, a freakish athlete. He's like huge. He plays a corner outfield, but he's, he's also pretty fast. He has a low K rate while also pairing it with big power. Um, so, you know, he looks like kind of one of those, you know, those young potential future core pieces for Cleveland. And, um, he, you know, he's kind of done a nice job as like a corner outfield slash DH for this lineup. And, um, you know, you can expect to see him right in the middle of that lineup, uh, especially when the Rays are throwing a lefty. Um, you know, he, he could be hitting right behind uh, Ramirez in game one. Quick trivia, and we're doing the preview, so you guys might have the roster pulled up right in front of you, but there is expected to only be one player over the age of 30 on the position player side of things for Cleveland. Do you know who that is? Is it Luke Maley? Is, is it former, former Ray? Ray? Luke Maley. Yeah. I, I was looking – I only reason I know that because I was looking up earlier to see, like, who could, who strikes out on their team. He's, like, the only person that, like, has struck out at, like, a normal league rate. And I was like, oh, Luke Maley, I remember him. I was like, where did he end up? Yeah. But, yeah, he's the he's the ancient 31-year-old, I think. Like, yeah, he's yes. so young. He's so young. It's nuts. Uh, and uh, the more uh, – I guess he's the, the bat-first catcher on this roster. I expect Austin Hedges <laughs> yeah. to – Probably start all, all you know, the, the entire series. Um, he is pretty abysmal at the plate, but very good defensively. Luke Maley is is there as just insurance, but I, I, I laugh. I love the fact that Luke Maley is the bat first catcher with his three home runs, <laughs> 79 WRC plus. And, you know, like the, the, the Cleveland Guardians also have, they have two of the better defensive catchers in baseball who are also just unbelievably bad hitting. But, you know, Austin Hedges is probably going to get like a base hit at one point. And it's going to be the most frustrating thing because that guy, he's the worst bat, but such a good, such a good defensive catcher. Similar to Miles Straw, you have center, center field and catcher, two of the best defensive players at those positions, both very below average, way, way below replacement level bats. But their value, their positive value, just because of that incredible defense. This feels like a very Rays-like Guardians team. Uh, you know, it is. Built, built by Kevin Cash. And this is, the, I think, one other thing I want to touch on in this series. We're getting Kevin Cash versus Tito Francona in a postseason series. Like that, I think, I don't know how much the ESPN broadcasters, I think the Rays are blessed with with Bucciambi and the crew they've got for their games this weekend. Uh, but I I hope that's a storyline they really go into. Obviously, we've seen the the trickery and the you know the, some of the pranks that have been pulled uh, between Francona and Cash. Cash was part of the staff uh, for Cleveland when they had a lot of success in the, in the previous decade under Francona, and I think um, Cash would probably tell you that 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 Terry Francona is his his mentor. Um, so I'm really excited to see how this plays out because uh, yes, I'm sure they will still have that same. Uh, playfulness amongst each other, but the stakes are a lot higher now. So who knows how it's going to go. I'm excited to see how they play off of each other in terms of like strategy wise. Cause I, I think yeah. they know each other pretty well. I, I also, I, you mentioned this a little earlier, Brett, with the idea of coming in without as much expectation. I think last year was one of the more miserable experiences in the postseason because of the fact that there was so much, it was such a good team. And it felt like there was so much ceiling. And then, and, and I didn't really fully respect the Boston Red Sox team because I didn't think they were that good. And this year kind of proved it. 
that they were kind of a mirage and they got hot at the right time. And it really felt like, especially the way those two losses occurred, you know, you, three losses really, because the, the first one, it became a blowout, but that one, the, Jordan Luplo beat Chris Sale. Like he got the grand slam. That should have been it. That should have been 2-0. Rays take another one in Boston. Thanks for coming. Thanks for playing. See you later. Instead, they lose that game. It gets out of hand. Then two just heartbreaking, weird losses in Boston. And it just, and that was it. The season was over. And it just felt like this is, this is not, this is not how this should end. Whereas this year, it's kind of, it is sort of a coin flip, right? You know, you are, Cleveland is as good or better than the Rays in many facets. The Rays are as good or better than the Cleveland and others. This is, these are two incredibly well-matched teams. The Rays would have been well-matched against the Blue Jays or the Mariners as well. I think these are all like teams that are in a similar range where win, lose. Honestly, you could just roll the dice a hundred times and the results would come out and shake out probably like 55, 45. You know, it, it would be a very equal type of, that's not how dice work. That'd be more of a coin flip, whatever. You know what I mean? Basically this, this series could be replayed and it's a three game. So two wins. It's so close. So I, I, it does have a different feeling going into this. Obviously I want the race to win, but there is not as much of a I will be devastated if the Rays do not get past Cleveland. I agree with that also. And I, I definitely think that I agree with you. The games are nearly a coin flip. They're two similar style teams, not exactly the same, but they're, they're fairly constructed um, in a similar way. Um, and I, I think the Rays will, will hang right with them. You know, I, I don't really think we'll see like a blowout on either side. Um, it just doesn't really feel like that's either of these teams' styles. So I'm, I'm expecting, uh, you know, two or three really close games here. So hopefully the Rays be on the right side of that coin flip. In my last note, I haven't fact-checked this, but I'm pretty sure it's true. I'm sure I'm pretty sure Frank Coda and Cash are the two longest-tenured managers, at mm. least in the American League. And I'm not sure where they rank in all of baseball now with the most recent hirings and firings. Um, but I'm, I'm almost certain they're the two longest-tenured in the American League, which is crazy to think of now. Like, I, I don't know. I still think of Cash as like a relatively new manager, but he stuck around quite some time. So we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to give you our roster projections for this wild card round. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back on the D-Rays Bait Playoff Podcast Series. We're going to go through our roster projections. So how we're going to break this down is I'm going to go through the roster I have constructed for this three-game series and then... Darby and Cole will chime in uh, whenever there's a player that I mention uh, that they don't have on. And, and, and maybe if I leave off a player that they do have on. So we'll, we'll start with the catchers. And uh, there is some ambiguity about whether or not Francisco Mejia will be back from the paternity list or not. But I do have my two catchers on the roster, Francisco Mejia and Christian Bethencourt. 
any changes for for either of you? Not for me. I mean, nope. the only thing is what you mentioned, um, whether or not Mejia can get back in time. And I don't know exactly what the rules are if he's ready to be activated in the middle of the series. I, I don't know. I, I can't recall a time someone went on fraternity leave mid-series like this. Yeah, I, I really don't know because I know it's very strict in the postseason. Like if you are left off or you are optioned, like it, you can only come back due to injuries and the, and the rules are, are a lot tighter in the playoffs. So, I, I, I yeah, nobody's picking Pinto. No offense, Renee, on, on merit alone, but he he is going to be there. And I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be one of the you know guys on the taxi squad as well in case there is an injury to one of those two players. Okay, so catchers are squared away. Now I've got eight infielders or or guys that I've classified as infielders on this roster. There's a couple that have some positional versatility. Uh, I'll go through and and, and you guys at the end, you can tell me where where you have any differences. Uh, Yandy Diaz, Wander Franco, Harold Ramirez, Taylor Walls, Jimon Choi, Isak Paredes, Jonathan Aranda, and Vidal Brujan. Any differences? In the infielders. Interesting. So you have Bruhan on there. I do. I'm kind of. I'm curious. He was, and I'll, I'll say you, this now. He mention, was the last man Harold on my Ramirez. roster. Yes, I did say Ramirez. Okay. Yeah, because he kind of counts as outfield slash DH slash first base. So I I will say that I agree with you, Brett. I think oh. that um, I think exact. I think you got it right. I initially didn't really think Bruhan uh, was going to be a part of it, but they brought him up for the final series of the year. He's played in all the games and there's been a little bit of some reporting that the Rays are looking at him for a roster spot. Um, it does make sense. His versatility, his switch hitting ability, his speed, his athleticism. Um, so, you know, kind of as, as the 26th man, if you will, in a series, um, I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I was just trying to do some math counting up remaining outfielders. And the only choice there is Bruhan or I think Roman Quinn, if he was healthy enough. Because he would be your also a switch hitter. But again, offense is not going to be what they do. They're going to be there for defense. And Quinn is strictly outfield, but like one of the better defensive outfielders in baseball and also one of the fastest people in baseball. So you could go Quinn for base pinch running and defense late, um, but he may not be healthy. He, his knee injury seemed pretty serious. So I think Bruhan is, is fine. Um, but also if they, if that was the, if the swap there, and I think the Rays will go with 14 position players. I'm not sure if that's what you have Brett I'm guessing yeah. that. So they usually in a, especially in a short series, you don't need to use as many pitchers. It's like the reverse of the regular season. So I would say, yeah, I would say Bruhan or Quinn would be my last guy. But yeah, I I I don't think you can go really wrong either way. The the reason I went with Quinn is he hasn't played in any games. They didn't get to rehab him the the, the minor right. league postseason. Like Bruhan not only played in games, he played in high leverage competitive games as as the Bulls were chasing. And he played well, and he and he played, played very really well, well with Durham. Yeah, um, came up, played in the big leagues, hit a home run today. In, in the last game of the season, it just it just feels like, you know, we could talk about whether or not hot or cold exists, but he, he's got game experience. The Rays have trusted him at the big league level this year. It's been disappointing offensively and at times def- defensively, but he also provides, like I listed him as an infield, but 
you know, you could see him if, if he's needed mm-hmm. in the outfield. And you've also got guys rostered like Isak Paredes, who in a one run game, the last two innings, you might not want a second base. Uh, and, and maybe you've already done, you don't want to at second base. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you've also got Taylor Ross, you out there quick. but you've got more options with Vidal Bruhan. I think he just kind of, he, he can right. be plugged in really anywhere other than first base and catcher. I think with his existence on the roster, you can actually then use pinch hitters like a Jonathan Aranda because of him, because without him, you may be hesitant to put Aranda in the game and then having to leave him in at third or first or wherever. So, you know, Bruhan's existence allows more creativity. If you want to hit for a catcher, potentially, you can mm. do that. Um, you know, th- things like this, you could, you know, if Aranda gets on base, you could run for him with Bruhan. I-, I think, yeah, I'm agreeing with you, Brett. He allows for more flexibility. Moving into the outfield. So I said I've got 14 position players. I Again, I don't think there's going to be too much, or uh, really any disagreement here. I've got Randy Rosarena, Manuel Margot, David Peralta, and and Jose Siri. Mm-hmm. Spot on with you Same guys. Here. Yeah. Same here. Um, and again, you know, there's I guess a, a scenario where you could see Ramirez in right field. I hope that never happens. Um, but hey, uh, you know, you get a 16 inning game too, uh, and, and and anything can happen. Uh, and you could also see Vidal Bruhan, like I said slide into an outfield spot. He can play right. He could be, uh, you know, um, the emergent, well, I guess you get emergency center fielder if you've already got, you know, Margot and Siri out. So um, that's it for the position player side. And um, I, I think we're, other than maybe Roman Quinn and over Bruhan, um, we're in complete agreement there. Okay. I think mm-hmm. the pitching is where we'll have the disagreements. This Probably. is where it's interesting. Yeah. The position wise, I feel like this is just, Everybody that's available, and <laughs> the I guess the other I guess the other question is if if Mejia is ready to go that if you p- bring an extra catcher and be more you know aggressive with pinch hitting, but I, I agree I think Bruhan's versatility is the over a third catcher Quinn slash Bruhan I think he probably wins. Yeah, I mean I don't think you can carry three catchers for a three game series. Like I just there's. Unless they had 28-man rosters, but, yeah, even then, it's tough. Because, like, I mean, are you going to pinch it for Christian Bethencourt? Like, he is, I think, a, a, a reliable bat at this high, point. One of the right. highest barrel rates on the team. And, and even yeah. if you do, you have the second catcher to come in. Right. So, right. I, don't, yeah. I don't see where the third really brings value. Um, okay, moving over to the pitchers. So, uh, I'll start off with the guys who I expect we'll see at some point for multiple innings. Shane McClanahan, Tyler Glasnow, Drew Rasmussen, and Jeffrey Springs. And that's at some point if this, this series goes the, the distance, which is, is only three games. Uh, going into the bullpen, you guys have those four on your roster, I'm assuming. Okay. Yeah. Uh, going into the bullpen, Pete Fairbanks, Jason Adam, JT Chagua. And again, jump in if, if, you, don't, if you don't have one of these guys. Do you not have James? I want, to, I want to see the whole list first okay, okay, before okay. I go in. Brooks Raley, Sean Armstrong, Garrett Clevenger, Javi Guerra, and then my last one, and this is where we might disagree, Corey Kluber. Okay, so the people that are not on there uh, would be Beeks. Correct. Jalen Beeks. Uh 
Calvin Fauché. Yanni Chirinos, Yakovonis. Yanni Chirinos. And Luis Patino, who I think is hurt, right? And Luis Patino. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think Luis Patino's shut down. So I, really, it's... So, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I, I think what I... So the the top the 13 or 12 or so, I think we're all going to agree on. I think it's maybe you could view it as three guys for two spots at the end. And I think the three guys are Beeks, Kruber, and Guerra. And I think you only have room for two of them. Um, I, think you could, you, I think you make an argument that Chargois and Guerra are kind of in a similar boat too as the righty specialist. Possibly, yeah. So, and what I what I ended up having was um, Beeks. I, I am under the impression Beeks is healthy enough to make it. I saw Mark Topkin report that he was likely to be activated for this Boston series, but that didn't ever happen. So I don't know if maybe there was a setback there or whatnot, but I, I would I would have to imagine um, if he is indeed healthy, he's still a decent option. And I think at this point, um, the way Kluber has kind of faded a bit down the stretch, I, I would prefer Beeks because I don't really see where Kluber's length is going to help you all that much in a three-game series uh, when you have four really good length guys um, ahead of him. So, you know, if they move on to the DS, the CS, anything like that, Kluber's absolutely in play there. For the short three-game series, I think I will go for the higher stuff, shorter stint, guys. And also, I, Josh Fleming is also one of the 40-man guys left off. I didn't have Josh. He Fleming. went to and, – and him being today, I think. He threw 100 him. pitches today or something. Yeah. Did he? He, wow. he got the <laughs> he got the, uh, he got the last game of the season. Uh, if Yarbrough was healthy, he would have probably gotten that role of, like, thanks for the help. Uh, enjoy watching from TV. Um, <laughs> we'll send you a ring if we get there. Um <laughs> it's a hard it's a hard life for the uh the 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 mop up starter um okay so i i agree with Chargois. i agree with gara i think gara's really stepped up a lot i actually put him above Chargois. um armstrong's definitely there i i am curious at the end chirinos i just don't know if he's i i don't think i could put him above i think he has he has really good stuff, but I don't think he's above um, Kluber. Kluber's a tough one. Kluber is a tough one, but I don't think I have necessarily a better option. I don't necessarily want to put Beeks ahead of him, but I, I think if I'm predicting the Rays roster, I think Beeks is in there over Kluber because I think they can go two innings from Beeks. I think they've been comfortable if they, in an emergency, using Armstrong for two to three. So I think you could alone, just like if you were just like, okay, this game has gotten out of hand, we need length. I think those guys could patch it up. I think in the, because it's a short series, I think I go Beaks because I do think the Rays have used a lot of lefties versus Cleveland before. I think they see a lot of matchups like, in their in their switch hitters that they hit worse from the right side that I think they would I think that would have been a Pochet's spot because he's not he's hurt I think that goes to Beeks over Kluber that's my that's my gonna be my prediction I think I would probably actually agree with you Brett on my own roster 
I would, I think I would want Kluber, but just from that veteran presence, maybe in the dugout and just like, I don't know, maybe him coming in and unleash him. But the I narrative is there too, right? If, if you need him to start a game three or come in in a game three against his former team, a team who he started game seven of the world series for about six years ago, like the narrative there. And, and maybe that kind of pushed my decision towards Kluber. And yes, I know the results haven't been there, but I mean, f- from a stuff standpoint, like I, f- I feel like we've still gotten the same Kluber the last month or so. Um, again, it hasn't been great. You're not gonna, you don't want to rely on this guy to give you five plus innings and you know turn a lineup over more than once or twice. But I, he does, he does have that experience, right? And he'll definitely be in the like he'd be on the taxi squad 100. percent Like he is going to be in the dugout. Um, he he's going to be that veteran presence. And not to say that this should influence the race decision, but you know, you, you don't, if you don't need him this series, you, you might need him for a best of five next round. And you'd probably definitely have him on the roster for a best of seven, depending on how things play out um, moving. And if you get into future rounds and is he going to completely check out if he is, is not picked? I, I don't know. I don't know Corey Kluber. I don't know if that should influence the race decision, uh, but it feels like he might just get the veteran nod as the last pitcher on the roster. That was just my guess. The thing with Kluber that's in, you did mention is that like the stuff is still there. Like what he can do. I think the thing with Kluber is he comes in, he gets contact. It's not usually great contact. And sometimes the Babip gods just hate him. And it, and it like goes for like seven hits and like a bunch of runs out of nowhere. So I think if you, and Cleveland is like the most, uh the most annoying BABIP creation that's ever existed they just put the ball in play so there's a there's two schools of thought there do you fight against it and don't let him put the ball in play and try to strike him out or do you go fine you're gonna get contact let's get one pitch here's a ground ball and let's get the defense to to finish it off and Kluber is somebody that you could see turning the lineup over once at the end of a game just ground ball ground ball ground ball play into Cleveland's strength by making it their weakness because it's just they're gonna they're gonna make contact anyway so maybe get a guy that pitches to weak contact I could see it it's just it's such a short series that there's not that many innings to go around so I just it's it's hard for me to see where those are I I do think there's something there to the idea that you know you don't want Kluber to feel like he he's you know the veteran and he gets kind of disrespected but the way the Rays would do it I I don't think I think Kluber would get the idea that there's, they have to get 81 outs potentially, right? That's, that's what they need to do. And you already have pitchers getting quite a few of those that are locked in with those four. It's an interesting, I'm, that's going to be the most interesting thing is where is Corey Kluber on this roster or not? Mm -hmm. I agree. And I I think one of the, the big factors for Kluber's sake is, is Beeks' health like that's still a question that's up in the air I mean he I think he was on the aisle with right leg tightness um so I mean I'd, I'd assume he's been throwing bullpens and, and they're just going to evaluate him based on that because he didn't get any game action at the end of the year so um you know if he's if he's only throwing 90 92 in a bullpen session and you know then then in that case maybe you just go to Kluber as your last pitcher I mean 
if like Topkin reported that there was a chance Beeks was could could be activated, yet he wasn't. So I think that is cause for concern. Exactly. You think mm-hmm. the Rays would would have liked to see him pitch in a real game situation at least once this week before going into the postseason. Um, so yeah, it is still up in the air. He could be healthy. They they might just decide, you know what, it's better for you to rest, continue just working out of the bullpen, and then you'll be ready for the weekend. But we, we really don't know at this point. I was just going to say, and it was also, it wasn't like there was some roster crunch preventing him from being activated. We had Jimmy Yacobonis on the team. So, right, it, right. you know, it was, it was a little weird that he didn't make at least one appearance before the season ended. Yeah. It was also a very cold though. It was a very miserable cold weekend in Boston. Sure. And we said the team also saw Colin Pochet's season end with muscle tightness, oblique strain, which the cold weather and pitch, like, I do think that could be like today you saw no real pitchers. Uh, they, they, I guess they threw two, like there really wasn't a tune up, you know, we didn't see Pete Fairbanks. We didn't see Adam. We didn't see Rayleigh. I mean, we saw Rayleigh last night kind of for like an, like a couple pitches, but like, I, I don't know. I, I, I could, it's one of those things where I, I, I trust the Rays medical mm-hmm. staff to know whether they right. send him or not. I also think it's worth pointing out Adam and Fairbanks, I believe when Friday rolls around, they haven't pitched for like nine or 10 days um, prior. So the Rays really slowed down with these guys. They clearly don't think that that's a concern that much time off. They're prioritizing the rest. So, you know, I mean, maybe that's just kind of the avenue that they're taking, but, you know, just erring on the side of rest as the season ended. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to take one more quick break. Then the other side, we're going to look around uh, the rest of the postseason and make our predictions of who will end this month uh, as World Series champions. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we're back. D-Rays Bay Playoff Podcast Series. We have fully previewed the AL wildcard round between the Rays and Guardians. Uh, We will be, I'll say this now, and I'll say it again at the end of the show, we'll be doing uh, Twitter spaces so you guys can interact live with us, and those will serve as our instant reaction podcast. We'll be pulling the the audio from those and uploading them as a podcast. So if you can't listen live, you can't join us on Twitter, you can still listen as a podcast, but you'll see it on on the D-Rays Bay podcast, and and also I'll be on there on on hopefully every single podcast. Uh, game. So jumping into our postseason predictions, I want to start in the National League. We'll work our way through the National League before bringing it back home to the American League. We'll, we'll save some suspense for the end. Uh, and starting off with the six-seed Phillies versus the three-seed Cardinals. And I, I, I don't have too much on this, uh, but I, I, I do really like, I, I know the Albert Pujols story has been great. Um, you see, you know, Adam Wainwright, uh, Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols in the, in the twilights of their career have this this great surge with St. Louis, a chance to to win another World Series. Uh, but I, I like Philly's pitching a little bit more, maybe not the bullpen side, but on the starting side. And you've got Bryce Harper, who is still one of the best hitters in the game. Uh, I'll take the Phillies in two here. All right. Um, I'll... I'll probably go on the other side of this one, um, you know, and I'll, I'll pick the Cardinals in three. And um, 
I just say that because I think they've got a really deep, well-rounded roster, good offense, a couple star players, a couple, you know, maybe the top two MVP vote getters, um, and, you know, really good defense, um, pretty deep pitching staff. I do agree with you. I like the uh, the Phillies front two guys a little bit better, but I think the depth of the Cardinals finds them a way to win it. I, I really hate the idea of having to pick the Phillies to win anything with this bullpen and with just so many, so much shaky. I've seen too many bad baseball from them, especially down the stretch. Um, them and the Brewers just didn't seem to want to win a single game. Um, but I actually am going to pick the Phillies. Uh, you're getting the throw three really good pitchers in a row, especially in two of the best in the uh, national league. So I'm going to go Phillies. I'm going to say in three, I I think it could be a little closer, but I actually think the Phillies have what it takes to be kind of make a little splash in a short series. All right. I like it. So Darby and I went with the Phillies Cole with the Cardinals moving over to the other wild card round, the number five seed San Diego Padres against the number four seed who had a 10 and a half game lead in the NL East, but now find themselves in a best of three wild card series, the 100 win New York Mets. Um, Darby, we'll, we'll start with you on this one. I, in this case, I am going to take the top two starters. I'm going with the Mets over the Padres at home. And I'm going to say into. I will also pick the Mets. I will, I'll say it goes to three though. Um, but yeah, for mostly the same reason, those top two starters are scary, man. There was, there was a report today that, um, <laughs> that, that Jacob deGrom, so Max Scherzer is going in game one, but Jacob deGrom, maybe, or maybe not, will go in game two, depending upon the results of game one. Uh, that's, I'm probably not going to make a lot of Mets fans happy to hear <laughs> Um, but I understand kind of that sort of strategy, but like also, oh boy, don't get too cute by half there, please. Now, now part of me is making this pick just because they're the Mets. Um, part of me is making this pick because of that report that they're maybe not planning on pitching Jacob deGrom in game two of that series, but using some, some, some logic here and, and some reasoning, Yes, the Mets have a stellar one-two punch in Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, however they choose to use them. And they've got some really good pitchers and really good players to support them, and that makes this team a true World Series contender. But you look at the Padres, and you look at two pitchers who have kind of found their form again in this last month or so and in the second half of this season. One of those guys is Hugh Darvish. The other guy is former Cy Young winner Blake Snell who recently has looked like Blake Snell of old, Cy Young-style Blake Snell, just super high electric strikeout stuff. We've seen what he can do in the postseason, you know, put together some of his best starts ever in the postseason. And they also have, even though it's been maybe a little underwhelming in the small sample size, they also have Juan Soto, right? And they also have Manny Machado. They have stars too. These are going to be primetime games. They're going to be in New York, um, I think they're going to be must-watch television. Um, but I am going to go with the Padres in three Sunday night. Wait for that game. It's going to be incredible. And uh, I, I have Snell stealing a game for, in, in game two, whether it be against DeGrom or anyone else. Um, I, I think they will end up using DeGrom in game two, and that would allow the Mets to – or the Padres just to sneak out of game three in, in advance. So I'll take Padres in three on that one. 
All right, moving into the NLDS. So I have got Braves and Phillies, as, as does Darby, and then Cole will have the Braves against the Cardinals. Uh, the Braves are just really good, right? Like, they 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 have proven it. They're the defending World Series champions. Um, they, they've got some, some, some really good pitching. They've got Ronald Acuna, and they won a World Series without Ronald Acuna. Now, obviously, they don't have Freddie Freeman. They've got Matt Olson, who I think is pretty clear downgrade, especially with the season that Freeman has had with the Dodgers. Uh, but I like the matchup that we could potentially see in the NLCS with the Dodgers lurking uh, in, the, in, the, in the other side of the bracket. I'm going to take the Braves in four. Uh, I'm taking the Braves in four as well. I think the Phillies can get a game, you know, may, one of Wheeler and Nola, but I, I, the Braves are just so deep. They're just so, so deep all the way down. Pitching, bullpen, uh, hitting. Um, yeah, Braves, Braves advance to the NLCS. I'm going to play a little spoiler here. And uh, I'm going to, you know, I didn't have the Phillies like you guys, but I'm going to say the Cardinals take it in five. Um, Ooh. I, I think uh, I think a Braves-Cardinals matchup will be really fun. A lot of stars on both sides. And, um, you know, I think that I think both teams are really good, play a really good brand of baseball. And, um, yeah, I'll just, uh, you know, just kind of for the vibes, I'll go with the Cardinals. I mean, I'd love that. Like, I'd love to see Pujols go as, as deep as they can. And, like, also having a real cutout role, where he's effective in it, like he keeps hitting home runs. Like he got to mm. 700, which even he's, a month ago I thought was going to be really hard for him to do, and now he's at 703. He's like so he's amazing. locked in. It's, it's ridiculous what he's doing. Like every night, like these home runs are so clutch. They're like game-winning shots, like like in tie games and huge moments. He's like found his his 30-year-old self randomly. It's remarkable. And then, yeah, none of them, like you said, none of them have been like uh, a 13 to two blowout and a pitcher and a no. position player pitching. And they're he just plays, like, he plays every day hitting like fifth in the order right behind two MVPs. And he's like earned every bit of it. It's, it's really been an incredible season. Yeah, for sure. Um, Next other NLDS matchup is you guys have Dodgers and Mets. I'll let you guys give, give your picks for, for this one. Dodgers. Uh, you know, Mets get one, but Dodgers in four, and I don't think it's all that close. DeGrom or Scherzer, one of them, one of them gets through. Uh, but yeah, I, I, the, the, the Dodgers have some, 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 some tiny little problems in potentially their rotation, but they still have some really good pieces in that rotation. Uh, their bullpen, you know, Kimball's been a little shaky, but they also have some really good people in that bullpen now that his role is kind of diminished. Uh, Dodgers are just, they're an amazing team. And they've also kind of had a little bit of a stumble down the path, but they also haven't played a game that's mattered in like um, two months. It's incredible. They've just been such the class of the NL that I think they'll turn it up a little bit. Maybe they lose like a game in like game two, but I, I think they, they fairly comfortably advance to the NLCS. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm going to just go go for it all and say Dodgers sweep. And just to add a little Rays connection on top, I'll say that uh, Evan Phillips, former Ray, <laughs> closes it out. <laughs> He's been really good this year. Filthy. Absolutely been filthy. Uh, uh, yeah, I've got Dodgers in three against the Padres in, in my series. Um, yeah, they're the class of baseball. Um, and it's it's a little unfair what, what they're putting together 
out there on the West Coast. So I have the Dodgers advancing to the NLCS. What I have them taking on the Braves, and we get that matchup. Freddie Freeman facing his former team. It was already really emotional and somewhat controversial uh, matchup when they played in the regular season and some of the drama surrounding Freddie's exit from uh, the Braves team that won the World Series last year. They got there over the Dodgers, which was already a big shock. There's a bit of a rivalry, like a cross-country rivalry developing here between Atlanta and Los Angeles. Ultimately, though, like I said, the Dodgers, they, they got Freddie Freeman, right? They, they added a player already, like an MVP caliber player to their lineup of multiple MVP caliber players and MVP winners. Uh, Cody Bellinger, I know, is not his MVP self, um, but still sitting there in, his, in their starting lineup. They got Mookie Betts, Trey Turner. The pitching is obviously incredible. So I'll take the Dodgers in, in five. Like, again, I think it's, it's just too easy for them, at least uh, facing the teams in the National League. I, um, so that Dodgers in five to over the, uh, Braves in the, um, NLCS, right. Is what you were talking about. Not yes. the Dodgers. Yes. Okay. So I guess my matchup is Dodgers Cardinals and I'll take the Dodgers in six, um, as well. I think the Cardinals can make a run, but ultimately their pitching staff is just not, not as deep as LA's. I mean, nobody's really whole team is as deep as LA's. So I think they'll just muscle their way to the, the grand finale there. Dodgers in six over the Braves. Uh, I think the Braves match up well against them, but I, I just think the Dodgers are a machine, and uh, I think they I think they they take it and they go back to the World Series. All right, so. Uh... Interesting coming from the NL side. Now back to the American League side. We'll get through these. Uh, we'll start with Seattle, Toronto in the wild card round. Number five seed Seattle, number four seed Toronto. Uh, these teams are both really good seasons. Seattle obviously breaking a two decade long postseason drought. The moment where uh, Florida State alum, as Cole and I will celebrate, Cal Raleigh hitting that walk off. Uh, over in Darby's neck of the woods in Seattle to send the Mariners to the postseason. Um, I I know Darby is like, uh, you know, more public Mariners supporter. I've always kind of been a more closeted Mariners supporter. I really, I don't know. I think it's the uniforms. I love like the, the teal threads they wear. Uh, the stadium's great. A great broadcast. They're one of those West Coast games I enjoy putting on late at night after the Rays games is finished. Um so I'll, I'll take the Mariners. I don't know. I like I like the Mariners' vibes going into this postseason, but it's going to be a close series. Obviously, you've got some a lot of talent on the Toronto side, some good pitching, Kevin Gosman, Alec Manoa. So I have this going three games, but I think the Mariners have the more of the pitching depth and a more solid lineup, one to nine, to ultimately just narrowly edge out the Blue Jays in a three-game series. I'm going to agree with you, Brett. I'm going to take Mariners in two, though. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for, uh, kind of a, maybe an upset, if you will, um, in this round. And I, I really just love the, just the, these almost stable of arms they can throw in that bullpen. It's like deep, of, of really elite guys. Um, the starting rotation is, is really strong as well. Like, I don't even know if hundred million dollar man, Robbie Ray is going to get a start in their series. Like you can make the argument they have maybe three starters better than him. So I think they're in a really good spot pitching wise. Um, it'll probably come down to um, them scoring runs, but you know, an offense led by young star Julio Rodriguez, I think they, uh, I think they get it done. 
I mean, I'm going to have to go with Seattle <laughs> as well. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, the thing is the series actually is, and Cole, Cole's right. Like the, the, the arm depth for Seattle, I think is where this series could, could really play out. I don't think there's, I think the top two of Toronto is really fantastic in Gosman and Manoa, but after that, I don't love their bullpen. I think Ross Stripling has had a really good year, but I don't know how much I fully believe in that. And there is a little bit of worrying signs with Manoa's velocity and break all kind of looking a little bit worse as those inning cap as he wildly surpasses that. So I actually think Seattle wins. I think they're going to win in three. Um, I do think Robbie Ray starts, and I think that's the one I'm least uh, confident about. Um if it if it ends up being Gosman and, and Ray in game two, I think I would lean Gosman and the Blue Jays. But honestly, I think the 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 Mariners have a really good chance. I think it's gonna be a very close, very tough series for both of those teams. But I think the Mariners match up really well against Toronto. And so uh yeah, I'm gonna say Seattle in three. All right, moving over. We gotta do this series next. Number six seed Rays clawing their way in with an 86-win season facing the AL Central champions, the number three seed Cleveland Guardians. Like we said, we previewed this whole series. It's a coin flip. I won't go into too much more detail because we, we went through it. I think the Rays, I'll, I'll say this. I think the Rays lose game one on Friday. They win game two on the back of Tyler Glass now and Jeffrey Springs. And then Drew Rasmussen plus a bullpen that still has some innings left in him on Sunday take home games two and three and the Rays advance on Sunday to the ALDS. I think I'm also predicting the Rays. I think it's a really narrow game. Like this is an absolutely narrow series because the season series went 4-2 for Cleveland. But you have two losses that were 2-1. You have a loss that was 5-3. No, no spread of game was, was bigger than three runs. So this is basically every single game, all six on the season series were three runs or less. Most of them were two runs or one run. These are very, these teams match up so closely that I doubt it will go less than three. I feel like three makes too much sense. And I am most worried about Friday. Shane Bieber with the full fresh arms behind him. I don't know where, especially with his raise offense, the way it's looking right now. I have no idea if there's a hit in there. I don't know if there's a run in there against potentially facing just Bieber, Karen check and, and uh, class a, but I do think in a series this close, like literally could be first score wins in each of these games. It, it really could be like a one Oh two, one win each game. And of course, after we say this, it'll be like nine, seven blowouts <laughs> each game, just like crazy explosions. But I, I do think it's going to be really, really close. I think the Rays thrive in chaos close. Cleveland's very tough at home. I think still the Rays somehow find a way to sneak through this in three. Awesome. Cool. You, guys, you, you guys left me for last here. Uh, am, I, uh, am I the designated heartbreaker? No, I'm not going to be. I, I, uh, I'm going to pick the Rays in three, just like both of you did. And what I'm going to say, I agree with kind of everything you guys just laid out. 
expecting some close games, but, you know, I want to reiterate, this is the playoffs. These are, these are very, very tiny samples. Who knows what's going to happen. Um, and one thing that I'll, I'll go on the record as a prediction with is Wander Franco has a huge series and leads the race to, to a win in, in three games. I think he's coming into form at the perfect time. A lot of the trends with his swing decisions and, and the ways he's putting the ball in the air more often. I think he really looks like his healthiest version of himself this year. Um, and we saw what he did last year in the series uh, against Boston. So I'm, I'm looking at Wander Franco to lead us to the ALDS. Okay, we, we got to get through this. I got one more prediction for the AL wild card round uh, for the Rays. He might go down in the history books with with no home runs in a Rays uniform if you're looking at regular season stats. But I'd love to see David Peralta get his first home run in a Rays uniform in a big moment in this series. And I, and I think with that veteran experience, he's capable of that. Moving into the ALDS, I want to get through these quickly. Uh, we've all got Seattle versus Houston. Again, love Seattle, love the vibes. Houston in four. I'll give I'll give the Mariners one game. Houston in four. Uh yeah. I would love to be able to say, oh, Seattle could maybe do it's Houston in four. I'll give them a game. I'll just give them a game for mercy, but I don't even know if it's going to be that close. Houston, I think, could easily sweep them. They are so unbelievably good, but maybe the Mariners get some chaos ball and they get, they get a win. And honestly, let's make it game three at home. Give the fans one big win. Let me hear an awesome Dave Sims call of a playoff win. Uh, and before Houston finishes it off. I also am going to take Houston, but I'll give it, I'll, I'll let it go to five. I think the Mariners could, could squeeze two out um, back by their pitching. Like we talked about earlier. So I'll say Houston the- five. This series would be if if the Mariners advance over Toronto. Uh, I mean, I think Toronto would also be the one. But like if Seattle in particular advances over Toronto to face Houston, they would have the support of a hundred percent of all baseball fans outside of Houston. I think they're the only Astros fans and literally everybody else rooting for Seattle to slay Houston here. So they at least would have the support, all the spirit energy going their way. Back to the Rays, facing off against uh, Aaron. Ju- I mean, the New York Yankees. Uh, <laughs> Aaron Judge finally did hit sixty-two for a second. It looked like he was going to be stuck at sixty-one. Um, these teams played in the ALDS two years ago. Rays won in five in very, very dramatic fashion. The Yankees obviously very good. They were a much better team throughout the regular season. I've thought about this a lot. I, I'm not looking forward to this series. Uh, if if the Rays do advance past the wild card round, I, I hate watching Rays Yankees in the playoffs. The one time I've only ever had to watch it, first series they played was in 2020. So I'm not looking forward to it. But I do think the Rays won it in five. Again, I think pitching depth, the Rays beat the Yankees out. You look at the rest of that lineup and what they've done over the last month, other than Aaron Judge. If you can have Aaron Judge come up to the plate as many times as possible with no men on base. You win this series. He's going to hit one or two or three home runs. You just got to hope no one else is on base. You can win this series. You can get to the, yes, Cole at the top of the rotation is very good. Cortez obviously has been very effective. Past that, I think you can find some success. I'll take the Rays in five. I'm going to race in five as well. I think they absolutely match up very well against the Yankees. 
I think the season series went pretty heavily to the to the Yankees. But if you look at those games, there were so many close games in which you had like weird things like Brett Phillips dropped a, a fly ball. Uh, Man- Manuel Margot dropped a fly ball. Uh, Ralph Garza Jr. pitched, I think, in two of those games. Like that doesn't count. If we're talking about, I can run those by Roger Maris Jr. to see what counts and not counts in baseball. But uh, I'm pretty sure he, I think, I'm pretty sure Raj would agree with me. Uh, those aren't clean wins. Those are using players that aren't even on the roster. So they don't count, right? We don't, we can just pick and choose. So no, I think the Rays against the Yankees actually matches up really well. And I'll also say this, if Cleveland advances, I think they advance over the Yankees as well. So this is a over in five Rays or Cleveland. And, and I, think this, I think this is Kevin Cash putting the nail in the coffin for Aaron Boone. I think if the Yankees lose this series with, with, with everything that's happened this season, I think it's, it, it, I, I don't know if I'd fire him. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think he would be long for the Yankees job. If, if the Rays were, or the guardians were to beat them in the LDS. Cole. Yeah. Interesting. I'll, I'll take the race. Also, I'll take him. Yes, there we go. And um, I, I think the Rays. I think, um, I think they really know how to pitch to the Yankee hitters. Um, they they pitched well against them all season long. It's probably one of their most scouted teams. They see them every year so many times, um, playoffs, regular season, what have you. Um, I, I just think that they can really match up well with them. And and the Yankees are they're ailing a bit right now. A lot of their key um, guys are either struggling or just on the IL altogether. Um, they they've been losing some pretty key bullpen pieces as well. Um, not to say the Rays aren't banged up themselves, but. You know, I think that the Rays will have a pretty pretty good chance against them. But again, this is the playoffs, so anything can happen. All right, moving to the ALCS. Cole, I'll let you start with this one. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think this might might be where the magic uh, magic might have to end. Um, you know, I think it would be a pretty, it would be definitely deemed a successful season with everything that happened with to the Rays this year, if they could get all the way to the ALCS versus Houston. But um, I, I think I will have to pick Houston. I'll, I'll pick them in six. Um, I'll take the Rays getting a couple wins, stealing some from them. But, um, you know, Houston's Houston's roster is just really deep top to bottom. And uh, here I am, I guess I'm, I'm just kind of picking the chalk route with Houston versus LA in my World Series. But that's that's kind of where I'm at. Darby, do you want to go next? I think Houston wins in five. Mm. I I think Houston is listen. I think there. I think it could be closer than people think uh, going in. But I I just Houston is so so tough. This feels this feels kind of more like 2019, where the Rays are yeah. at, where they just don't quite have enough horses in the state. They don't have quite enough to overcome the just fully operational death star that is the Houston Astros. And if you had Mike Zunino and you had Brandon Lau and you had like some more guys healthy, I think maybe you could, you could like take them out, but they are just healthy. They have nobody on the injured list. The Rays are just, they're, they're missing multiple key bullpen pieces. They're missing you know, Glassman is just coming back healthy. They're they're missing uh, huge key bats. Like it's it's just it's a lot to overcome, uh, even on the best of standards. And I think the Astros just take it. I'm going to go in five. It's going to be quick. 
I, painful. I see, I see you smiling over there, Brett. Are you going to tell us what we want to hear? Well, Cole, you had Astros in six. Darby, you had Astros yeah. in five. And I, I'm going to go Astros in four. Uh, oh. I, just, <laughs> I, I do. And I just think they're, they're that much better than the Rays right now. Like looking at those lineups compared to each other, I have very little confidence in the Rays. Like there's a reason the Astros won 106 games this year. They are that good. Again, postseason magic happens. Things happen that we don't expect to happen. When the Astros had a losing record and the Rays had a 667 winning percentage, the Astros took the Rays to Game 7 of the ALCS. Again, 2020, very weird. But it just feels like that the, the Rays would have finally met their match. I think they can get past New York, even though New York's still a very good team. Um, but the Rays are, you know, have a little bit more firepower or would have a little more firepower in the pitching depth. I don't think I – th- I think the Astros match that, that energy with the Rays. They go to the World Series. They play the Dodgers, and the Dodgers win in seven. Cole, your World Series pick? I, I'm i going to say Houston Houston steals it from L.A. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to say they get him in six. So uh, good series back and forth. Um, you know, a lot of good performances, both on the pitching and hitting side. I just think that those two rosters are just kind of the clear cut deepest and best in the game. And, um, you know, with being forced to pick who, who I think is going to end up there. I'll say it's L.A. versus Houston. Houston gets it in six. I think this would be a really interesting World Series matchup, a rematch of a very hotly debated and contested series. And I think the LA Dodgers get revenge. Revenge long, long delayed. They get it on the field, game seven. They finish off the Astros and they win their second world series and they kind of reclaim the title that they feel like was taken from them but they they the dodgers win they are slowly assembling the rings of the dynasty that they have built yeah so i uh i think all all pretty fair predictions again they're all going to be wrong because it's impossible to predict baseball's postseason this isn't hockey where you can kind of just use chalk the whole way, uh, which makes it fun, but also uh, terribly uh, hard to watch. Like I, I don't, I, I, I've said this on the podcast. I don't enjoy watching Rays postseason games. I get so worked up that I can't let myself enjoy them. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to try my best. I try my best every year to have fun because it should be fun. Your team's in the postseason. We'll see how it goes. I have a feeling Friday by about 1245, I just will want to turn <laughs> off the TV but won't be able to. So uh, Darby, Cole, thank you guys for coming on. I'm sure uh, you guys will be hopping on spaces uh, multiple times, hopefully deep into October um, as the Rays try to get back to the World Series for the first time since 2020. Uh, but thank you guys for coming on tonight and uh, you know giving us some of your time. And uh, let, let's, let's hope this is a fun postseason. Yeah, thanks for having me. As always, Brett, go Rays. Can't wait for everybody to clip our Houston Astros uh, praise over the Rays. And when the Rays like sweep yeah. them, they can be like, look at these three morons. <laughs> Cole takes so. exposed. They can I mean, just, gladly. They, they can uh, thank us for the reverse jinx in that case. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> I would gladly be wrong. 
that's going to do it for our first playoff podcast series episode. We'll have Twitter spaces uploaded as podcasts that serve as instant reactions. And we'll be back on Sunday night with either, hopefully it's a uh, series victory recap and a preview of the ALDS, but you know, who knows what's going to happen, but we'll be back on Sunday night with another full podcast like this. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in and listening. If you want each episode of, of this series downloaded directly to your device, the games are going to come thick and fast. Make sure you follow or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so they're right on your phone when you wake up for your morning commute the next day Uh, if you love what we do please leave a rating and review if your platform allows it it's the best way to spread what we do to more and more raise fans as always make sure to head on over to dracebay.com there's going to be a ton of great postseason coverage on top of these podcasts once again thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you after game one of the al wild card round against the cleveland guardians Thank you.